0: You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. Benson Hill is one of those companies that's breaking new protein barriers in ways that won't be obvious to consumers. The company's research into crop management and breeding, aiming to create plant varieties with specific qualities, like more protein per plant, may hold the key to the alt-meat market becoming mainstream. Using Benson Hill's technologies, prices could come down, sustainability may be enhanced, And those alt-meat products will look a lot more attractive in the retail case and on restaurant menus. Benson Hill co-founder Matt Crisp spent some time talking to contributing editor Brian Budzinski about Benson Hill's approach and the company's goals for the industry.
1: So just to get us started, can you give me a little bit of your background, where you come from, where you went to school, basically describe the road that led you to Benson Hill?
2: Yeah, sure thing. So I started my career in venture capital after graduating with an undergraduate degree in finance from Radford University, which is in Southwest Virginia, and was was through various roles there uh, acquainted with venture capital deployment in the life sciences. So for you know diagnostics, synthetic biology, instrumentation, reagents. So we got familiar at the time, you know, with a number of different. Biotechnological approaches, and and I, as part of my role, had done diligence on how to deploy those types of tools and technologies in a variety of different verticals. So, you know how how might you utilize biotechnology and data science in areas like industrial biosciences and uh, energy and agriculture and food? And I became really passionate after doing some of that work in food and ag because you you realize pretty quickly that there is a real gap of innovation. And I decided about 10 years ago to, a little more than that, to leave the venture world and, and actually take an operating position in what was then a division of a portfolio company that we, that we owned and had an opportunity to build a team around agricultural biotechnology. And then a couple of years after that, co-founded Benson Hill. So the
1: heart of your operation is your crop OS system. Could you give me a sort of 5,000-foot view of what the system is and then drill down to its specific impact on the crops that you're working with, such as soy and yellow pea?
2: Yeah, certainly. So CropOS, which is short for Crop Operating System, is an integrated technology platform really underpinned by data that allows us to to operate at this convergence of data science with plant science and food science. And think about CropOS in in some respects as as a brain where we utilize its infrastructure to pool data that might come from field environments, genotyping data, other omics data that we can derive from seed, but also food and formulation data and, and ingredient data that come from the downstream products that those seed ultimately lead to or product concepts even. And so when you put together these resources, what CropOS enables us to do is essentially simulate using ai and other other machine learning approaches how you would breed for say a better seed that would lend itself to consumer preferences so taste profile the protein density or nutrition content the oil profile the how does it grow also so that it can satisfy the needs of a farmer that it can yield you know in a commercially viable manner on the farm and so There's data that inform all of those outcomes. And then when you amalgamate that into a a system like CropOS, we're able to garner really unique insights and then ultimately create a plan to develop products much faster and for less cost than we'd otherwise be able to develop. And and it it all really gets back to the seed because that seed is the vessel through which, of course, we create these food and ingredients that we ultimately sell.
1: In terms of forming partnerships, are you at a stage now where you're partnering with various farmers and farming groups, or have you also reached a stage where you're partnering with developers or potential developers of alternative protein or alternative meat products? Both, really. So it's it's a two-sided model. So the, the
2: farmer and our farmer partners play a really crucial role, obviously from a production perspective, because they're planting our proprietary soy, you know, on tens of thousands of acres which ultimately lead to these differentiated products in this delivery model. And then on the other side, we've got, you know, the groups that you're alluding to plant-based food companies or ingredient companies who may be, you know, formulating their own products or working with their own partners and their own supply chains to formulate the products. But the plant-based meat and dairy alternatives is, is obviously a really, really rapidly growing arena that has, has interest in, in the kinds of products that we produce non-GMO, more sustainable, ultimately more affordable ingredient solutions that that can help drive this movement. We sometimes say that Benson Hill is the picks and shovels of this movement because there's dozens or hundreds of these brands out there. And our intent is to supply many of them
1: with the ingredient solutions that help advance this plant-based protein movement. So you're tackling two segments simultaneously, the ingredient side and the fresh side. How do these two segments diverge from one another? And where do they come together? So the, you're right. I mean, in, in
2: 2021, you know, we project revenues of $127 million, and that's roughly split between the fresh segment and our ingredient segment. The ingredient segment is where we expect to see much more significant growth driven by some of those plant-based protein trends that I described and the really heightened demand for these types of solutions. And frankly, <laughs> in combination with that, the fact that there's a limited amount of capacity in the space to produce these kinds of of important ingredients today. In the fresh business, it's a slightly more simple supply chain because you're not processing at any level here, but you're you're more in the grower-packer distribution business. And you can service fresh food directly into the grocery channel as well as the food service channel. And so that operation that we have, which is based in the Southeast, supplies fresh vegetables to to a number of different customers, but also in a identity preserved supply chain. But that's an area where we have not made as many near-term investments in differentiated genetics and seed. Whereas on the ingredient side, which driving the growth of that business has come as a result of the investments that we've made over the past years in soy and yellow pea and the differentiation that We expect to be supplied to the market in the near and medium term there.
1: With your crop accelerator only just recently opened, have you yet been able to see the kind of crop cycle improvements you hope to get out of the facility long term?
2: We have. We've we've done modeling around this and we've completed proofs of concept to validate this already. So we anticipate that we'll see more than a 2x increase in cycle times. By utilizing the facility. We just reviewed some data, you know, reflecting, you know, biological affirmation of, of those targets. But I think what's even more interesting and attractive is that it serves as a platform for a total acceleration of more than 20x of our testing capacity versus where we were just a year ago. And so we're able to, to do more breeding, more introgressions. And to be able to do that at a larger scale, much faster in a manner that's, that's delivering a tremendous amount of data back to CropOS. I mean, the combination of all of those is, is really, really exciting for our product pipeline.
1: So you've been focused on ultra high protein content, soybeans and yellow peas. Are there other crop stuffs out there that have the potential for this sort of high yield protein content to be developed?
2: Well, I mean, soy today is is the most abundant crop for protein production per unit input, and so um, there are many other alternatives to soy. Yellow pea being the fastest growing and one which we've made substantial investment into over the over the past few years. Beyond soy and yellow pea, there's a there's a lot of you know, terrific protein sources. I mean, it's something we remain really open to, but we're not making significant investments in at this time.
1: In the alternative meat space, which my publication serves, there are essentially three silos plant based fermented, and cultivated or sometimes known as cell based meats based on what you're seeing in the market. do you see any one of these areas breaking out first, and if so, why? well I mean I think plant
2: based when we whenever we can use the natural resources and natural you know photosynthetic processes to create the macronutrition that that really delivers say the core value to to consumers ultimately we will invariably have a more scalable affordable set of options and so it's no surprise that i would favor and and our company favors strongly the plant-based category of those three that you just described i think that to provide the full potential of alternative or plant-based protein on a global scale you know we have an opportunity through the you know, commodity infrastructure to in effect decommoditize and, and scale options in this category far more aggressively and, and far, far more affordably than we anticipate being realized in the fermented and the cultivated arenas. Now, that's not to say that they don't have a place. This is by no means meant to be a suggestion that a one size fits all strategy works. You know, in fermentation, you I think can and, and will see you know, really terrific options being supplied that maybe augment the micronutrition profile of these alternative plant-based products. You know, microbial fermentation systems provide a more malleable, oftentimes more expeditious product development process, but it comes with added expense. And so finding ways to augment the macronutrition that I think comes from plant-based alternatives with, you know, microbial-based or fermentation-based micronutrition, in my opinion, there's an opportunity there. Cultivated as a category, again, my personal opinion is that may have a, a place in the market, but I would expect that for the foreseeable future, it would it would be restricted to the, I'm going to call it super premium category, because you know, just the, the gross cost of of providing these types of solutions. And I'm not even talking about scale, I'm, I'm talking about providing it Really, at any scale, is just extremely high. You know, these fermentation and cultivated meat systems require feedstock, and that feedstock's got to be supplied, grown, harvested, supplied. And so, what we're doing is really saying instead of growing a feedstock and shipping it and enduring multiple additional steps of a supply chain to create a product in a very expensive infrastructure, why don't we just utilize the natural genetic diversity of plants? and produce what it is that we want in the first place in the field and, and let the sun and our natural resources help us do the work that you know, these expensive systems and plants and steel processes you know,
1: might otherwise have to be set up. Other than taste, price parity is the biggest sticking point when it comes to wide-scale adoption of plant-based meat alternatives. So, How could a company like Benson Hill, in the space that you occupy, help an alternative meat producer to reach a scale such that they can price their products in a directly competitive way with conventional meat products?
2: Well, it's our belief that you can't reach the price point that's desired unless you can offer ingredient innovation. We believe that ingredient innovation, and ingredients, by the way, being the number one cost item to produce these products, is the largest unlocked both from a cost standpoint as well as furthering their environmental sustainability profile. And so how do we do that? I think the ultra high protein soy product is a flagship product portfolio for us because it introduces the concept of disintermediating some of that very expensive processing that's required and as well making a more efficient supply chain over over time. And so it's a long way of saying that it's not necessarily just about scale. Scale is important, but it becomes a lot easier to pass on the affordability profile that's required to the extent that you can eliminate the most costly and water and energy intensive
1: processing step that the entire system faces. So looking at the future, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Where do you see the plant-based market in terms of its development and the level of consumer adoption?
2: Well, you know, as you look across at market research, you, you know, you'll you'll see numbers that range anywhere from 5% to 25% <laughs> of penetration into the the current animal protein-based market. We frequently cite some market research indicating that the plant-based meat alternatives category on a global basis will be 140 billion dollars by the By the end of the decade, when you think about today, the Good Food Institute has put out research indicating that in 2020, that market in the United States reached 1.4 billion in total sales. So think about that of you know in 10 years from now or less than 10 years from now, that market being 100x what it is today, but on a global basis, you know it speaks to a remarkable growth arc. It's our opinion that if you want to unlock that type of market growth, we need to not just be conscientious of the sustainability benefits that might come from a plant-based proteins versus an animal protein source, but we've also, we must be cognizant of the affordability profile that we demand. We will not, in our opinion, we will not be able to realize this type of growth arc without pulling costs out of the system. We need to, just in soy, if you were to meet that demand, we calculate that you'll need an 8,000% increase in soy protein concentrate manufacturing capacity. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you, why would you want to build all of that? If we can just look to nature to help supply the ingredient, a more whole ingredient solution and that ultimately obviates the need to go do that. And so we've got to bring innovation to this. Innovation is deflationary by nature. It will allow us to realize the magnitude of growth that's projected and, and we're very very optimistic about about achieving that growth curve. but we as a as a market and as stakeholders and consumers you know across the, the food value chain, you know, we've got to realize that innovation is a crucial component of this, this outcome.
0: Benson Hill is tilling new ground in the quest for better, more affordable alt meats. Our thanks to Matt Crisp for giving us a peek into how the company does what it does. You can read more about Benson Hill in the February print issue of Alt-Meat Magazine. To subscribe and to get access to all of our other content about the industry, go to our website at alt-meat.net. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow MeetingPlace and alt magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.